listening to First Church Charlotte. In Jesus' name, somebody say, I receive that. There's people in this church that need a miracle, God. I pray that you would send forth of heaven's bounty. I pray you would open uh, the treasure chests of heaven's glorious gifts and send a messenger angel carrying a gift into their life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Somebody say, I receive that too. Now, would you put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are right in the busiest, perhaps the busiest time of summer. There's two peaks of distractedness in the summer. The first one is at the end of the spring semester when everyone has exams. And uh, that is the first peak of maximum distractedness. The second peak is when everybody's trying to get ready to go back to school. Those are the two peaks when you, especially if you have kids, uh, you're super busy, your kids are studying, they've all this pressure. I just want you to know that even, you know, this isn't a, our faith isn't just kind of like a, a sunny day faith. It was built for the storm. And whatever we're facing, whatever we're wrestling with, we are able to be victorious. Can I have an amen from somebody in the house? You are able to be victorious. Turn to somebody, point at them, say, you are able to be victorious. Amen. I am reading Mark chapter number 12, and I'm going to read it verse number 35. You don't have to stand. Just just be seated because I don't know how much of this I'm going to read, so much how much of it I'm going to talk. So let's just get into the word of the Lord. We've prayed together, and we will get started. Uh, we have been following the life of Jesus through the perspective of Mark, the gospel writer, who, as you know, primarily gave us the testimony of Peter. He served as a type of ghost writer to Peter, but interestingly, no one remembers Peter. Everybody remembers Mark. And so that should teach you a lesson. If you're going to write a book, you need to put your name on it, and then you'll get the credit for it. So uh, Mark is giving us this perspective of Jesus through the memories of uh, the, uh, the disciple Peter, and we are still on Tuesday. Now Jesus is in the last week of his life. He's going to be crucified on Friday. He's going to be betrayed on uh, a third, late Thursday, early Friday, going to be crucified Friday, and he is going to uh, be placed in a grave Friday evening before the sun sets. He's going to be in the ground for those three days, but on Sunday, he is coming out of that grave, and he's going to be alive forevermore. Can I have an amen? And so we are on Tuesday of the week of the Passion. It gives these words particular insight. And so let me remind you that the uh, elders of the people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sadducee leaders, of the Sanhedrin Council. Uh, also, there were Herodians there who were leaders who supported the, the, the rule, the political rule of Herod. And there also, of course, was the common people and lawyers and the like. And they, all of them, some of them asked questions.
questions sincerely, like the lawyer. Some of them ask questions to trick and to trap. Uh, my last Wednesday night that I taught, I talked about this great contrast, the difference between what Jesus cares about and all of these people who claim to be religious care about. I have thought about that. I know it's a kind of a theme that I revisit a lot, and I don't mean to tire you with the hearing of it, but it is so absolutely uh, uh, humbling and even terrifying to me to think that no matter how zealous an individual can be, if we miss the heart of God, it will not matter if we got the law of God. I want you to think about that. Don't rush past that. Uh, They had the law of God. They were scholars and elders pertaining to the law of God. They had the law of God, but they had missed the heart of God. And so although they wanted to argue over who was going to be whose wife in the resurrection, they wanted to argue over whether or not there was going to be a resurrection. They wanted to argue about these kind of technical issues of the law that no doubt had great religio-political value among them. Uh, All groups of people have politics. It's not really a, it's not a church thing. It's a human thing. Uh, If you get any group of people together, politics emerge. And with politics comes factions. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? And with factions come the potential for both division, if we get it wrong, or reconciliation, if we humble ourselves one to another and prefer one another, which I think the New Testament is pretty clear about. But so there are religio-political subjects. One of the biggest one in Jewish history, you guys, I encourage you to study this yourself. There's tons of information on this, what they cared about, this, these issues of marriage, whether or not they were there was a resurrection. These are issues they care very much about. Jesus will answer their questions to appeal to the listeners. Jesus will silence them with his wisdom, whether they come with a political question, trying to trap Jesus, should we pay taxes? That's a political trap. No matter what Jesus answers, he is going to be able to be accused of something, except Jesus in a g- just genius and divine, shall we say, that's a better way to say it. He totally sidesteps it. Uh, that doesn't work, so they bring the marriage question to him, you guys know. And finally, there's a lawyer there who perceives that Jesus kind of, you know, knows how the world works and he speaks with wisdom and insight and perceiving that Jesus has this insight and wisdom. I'm just reviewing here. You've all heard this. Um, he asked this question, what really matters? What's, what's the greatest commandment? What's, what should we be focusing on? It's as though when somebody you respect their teaching, imagine you were given an opportunity to sit down with somebody that you like really respect and you're thinking, wow, this guy's smart. He can give me some some words. I wish that was true of me, but it probably isn't. But you finally got some time with the big time. You see what I'm saying? It's like me getting time with JTP, and I just want to pick his brain, and everybody else is in line in front of you. And they ask you all of, they ask this teacher all of the wrong questions, and you know they're the wrong questions because the kind of responses the teacher's giving. And finally, you have a light bulb moment. I love light bulb moments. You have a light bulb moment. And you want, you, it's like it's your turn to ask a question. And you like raise your hand and you're like, um, uh, what should we be asking you about? What really matters from your perspective? Do you see the difference? Yeah. 
Okay, so the great contrast is what they think is important versus what God thinks is important. And God gives that great answer, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. That's the vertical relationship. And the second commandment is like unto that, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the horizontal relationship. You get this right, it is evidenced this way. If your love for God is right, it's evidenced as your love one to another. That's why John can say, don't say you have horizontal love one to another. If, or don't say you have vertical love towards God if you don't have horizontal love one to another. How can you love God whom you have not seen? This first epistle John. And say, and hate your brother whom you have seen. And so they are knit together. This is the core. And Jesus answers this man's question by saying this at the end of it. After he He's given an answer after the man is sitting there in kind of that moment of thought, reflection, and pondering. Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Okay, now, now, now that's astonishing to me, and it's going to continue. So here we see the continuation of that argument, and we are, or not argument, but this, this time of communication from the Lord to, to both the people and uh, his critics. And so uh, one of the scribes, uh, uh, having asked the first commandment, we get to verse 35, uh, well, let me back up to verse 34. But after Jesus says to this scribe, you're not far from the kingdom of God. After that, the Bible says no one dared question him. Don't you love it when you're having an argument with somebody? This never happens to me because I'm married. But let's imagine that you were having an argument with somebody. And uh, <laughs> that was funny. And um, uh, uh, they just say, okay, you, you give up. You win. Wouldn't that be amazing? Stay single. It'll never happen after you get married. Anyway, just having fun. Um, so uh, Jesus has won. He has silenced his critics. And nobody dares to answer him. And in this silence. Jesus is going to say something to them. In this silence, they have been silenced. Oh, sometimes I think we need to be silenced. Sometimes I think we need to be rebuked in our spirits and silenced in our opinion. And us say, all right, Lord, here I am. I am willing and ready to hear. I'm done telling you what you should care about. I'm done telling you about what I know about the kingdom of God. And I'm ready to hear what you would say to me. And this is the moment this, this crowd, uh, the circle of critics, and the, the, the hearing of the people, they have arrived at this dramatic moment. And as the playwright would say, you can hear a pin drop, so to speak. No one dares to speak up. And so Jesus, taking advantage of the silence, make sure you're offering the Lord some silence in your life. Just quiet your distractions and give yourself a moment to receive from the Lord. Uh, he says this, how is it? Jesus says into this quiet, into this receptive, silenced group of critics and the ears of the people. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? All right. Jesus is going to ask them a question. But this question is not going to be some 
technical issue that everyone can argue about all day and no one get to an ending of. This is a question to lead them to a revelation. This is the most important issue in their lives. It doesn't matter how long they've been studying the law. This moment is the most important moment in their life and this issue is the most important issue they are facing. They might be expert on marriage and divorce and giving in marriage and who's friends with who in heaven and who has the cabin and who has the castle. They might think they're experts, but none of that in this moment answers, uh, is, is the issue. Jesus is going to ask them a question that is the core issue of this moment in time. Ultimately, all of us are challenged to serve our generation. Do you see? God help us as a church to understand what our opportunities are, what our field is, and how we can represent the heart of God in pursuing opportunities in his field. It doesn't matter if we're experts on 27 other subjects if we miss our moment. Can I have an amen? Amen. It doesn't matter what we think we know if we miss our moment. The wind is blowing and the spirit is like the wind moving among us. Somebody has to open a cell and let the spirit move them through all of the things that would keep them stuck in a carnal uh, state of affairs where nothing's getting done and we're just kind of taking care of ourselves and there's not any vision and there's not any burden. There's just duty. Churches that haven't vision, haven't joy, they're not very attractive to anybody. Churches that primarily have a feel of duty and obligation, they're not very attractive to anybody. But when the Spirit begins to move among His people, when the Spirit begins to blow through the city, I want to be the church to spread wide a cell and say, blow here, Lord Jesus. Move here, Lord Jesus. Do the work here, Lord Jesus. Stir me, O God. Let revive start right here. Let passion start right here. Can I get a witness in the house? This is the central issue. How can the scribes say that Jesus, the Christ, is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, these are the words of Jesus, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, Jesus asks these scholars of the law. David himself calls the Messiah. Those are my words. The Messiah, Lord, how is the Messiah then his son? This is the question. How is the Messiah both the son of David and the Lord of David? This is the issue. What am I talking about? God is standing in front of them, but they refuse to see him as God. They only will see him as a teacher, a rabbi, a philosopher, a faith healer. They will not see him as the Lord. And hear me today. We all of us know this because we are ourselves believers.
believers. You can learn a lot from Jesus' teachings. There's much beauty and depth to them. You can learn about ethics. He is the promoter of that original, do unto others as they would do unto you. His ethics are profound. Our heart has to be right. It's not enough for a legal covering to cover the sins of the heart. That's all Jesus is teaching. That is the foundation of ethics. A law itself can be inadequate if your heart isn't right. And all of this is good, but you will never understand what Jesus really has to offer you until you see him as your Lord and your God. He can't just be a religious figure to you. He can't just be a faith healer to you. He can't just be a teacher. You must see him like Thomas saw him coming out of his cave of doubt and saying, my Lord and my God, my doubts are gone. My, my, my fears are gone. My criticisms are gone. I am absolutely convinced, my Lord and my God. Jesus is still reaching to the very people who are criticizing him. Think about that. It's easy for us a lot of times uh, to love certain groups uh, in our lives, people who are like us, people who are close to us, people who agree with us. There has never been a better road trip than you're with somebody who agrees with you about everything. It is a place of unity, hope, joy, and general happiness. Now, uh, you've never had a more miserable road trip with you're with somebody who disagrees with you fundamentally about many important things. You guys will just sit there in sullen silence, casting bolts of dislike out your ear because you dare ain't going to make eye contact with that fool who knows nothing and ought to be hit by the nearest truck going the opposite direction. It's easy for us, even the heathen like people that's like them. If they vote like us, think like us, vote, uh, 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 believe like us, work like us, etc., etc., you get the idea. If they like our music, that's just good taste. If they like our food, God bless them, their mama raised them right. But if they are opposite to us, it gets more difficult. That's the obvious way. Um, in other ways, particularly to church people, um, all of you probably have known someone in your life who, although they had a uh, they, they had a zealous heart for God, and although they uh, were in many ways uh, honorable, they, they had a voice of negativity in your life. And um, uh, not, not, not all of you would have known this, uh, but uh, it's not that uncommon. I talk to a lot of religious people, and um, it's very uncommon for them to, very common, I should say, for them to have someone in their life who, um, they mean well, but they're just negative. Uh, nothing is ever right. Nothing is ever good. And they're just negative, negative, negative. Uh, anything you try to do, they'll find fault with it. Um, it's like, uh, we had one family member who uh, was criticizing a youth convention. There's like 40,000 kids that showed up at this youth convention and, and one of our family members was talking to my dad which was he makes it even funnier to me because uh, they know I ignore them. They try to criticize me. I'm like, talk to the hand, honey. I don't have time. My life is short. I'm a cancer survivor. Go find somebody else. Uh, but my dad has a sweet spirit, you know. He's like try, trying and, and they're like criticizing. We heard that some kids did this, that they're there, you know. And, and my dad, I told you guys this story before but when it happened it just blessed my soul and I just ran through a troop and left over a wall. 
my dad says, you know, if you take a cat to the greatest museum in the world, like the Louvre in, 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 in Paris, you take it to the greatest, you walk that cat through that art museum, art museum, it doesn't see one good thing in that art museum. It spends its whole time looking for a rat. <laughs> You took the cat to the best place in the world to see beauty, and that cat's like. <laughs> Pink Panther. Rat. They don't see the majesty of humanity's greatest artic- artistic expression on the wall. They're looking for a rat. There's some Christians like that. And you know what? They're not all bad people in the sense that they like want to you know, follow after the, the ways, the, the, the easy identifiable ways of the flesh. Um, sometimes they're, they're zealous, 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 and all they, they think their value added is to t- point out what we're doing wrong. And um, I, let me be honest. If you have someone in your life who means well but is a voice of negativity and is always raining on your parade, um, I, I want to remind you that you don't just get to love the fresh new person coming in church with hope and say you're a Christian. You have to learn how to love your critics. And that's the hardest thing I've ever done. You could, you could make me run through a casino full of naked women and they would not tempt me a bit because I think, my God, my wife's going to kill me for even having to run through here. It wouldn't tempt me a, t- tempt me a bit. It wouldn't, wouldn't bother me a bit. i just run the run. The run. I could just, I just, I, I mean, I, you know, I might get carnal, uh, you know, toward the end of it. As I got to that, I'd be like, my, my God, put some clothes on. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. Why am I telling that? Well, I, I like to have fun with you, but that's the first one. The second one I want to tell you, I can avoid that, okay? I, I can. I'm not saying I'm going to stay up in there. I'm gonna, you understand what I'm saying. But I'm saying, it is, you want to get something that's really hard for me? It's not avoiding that kind of stuff. Now, in my 20s, maybe different, but, but it's not avoiding that. What's hard for me is to love somebody who tries to tear down everything good someone's trying to do. It burns. It burns. And in my flesh, y'all don't tell anybody I told y'all this. I'm going to talk quiet so they can't hear me on the live stream. God bless you guys. Um, uh, there's something in me that I want to say. Honey, you're just, you're just ignorant. You're, you're just ignorant. You mean well. But you haven't had a new thought since the 70s. And that's not bad. That's not bad. But it's real. But that's arrogance in me. Do you see how I, in my arrogance, end up acting condescending? I want you to show, I want you to see this. Although Jesus was very frustrated with these people, the last thing he says to them is an act of love one more time. They've given him three and a half years of H-E double hockey sticks, and he's still trying to get them to see. God, give me that kind of love. Give me that kind of patience. Because if it's all just laid back on me, how carnal I am in the moment, Lord, there's not much help for me. But if I can get that kind of Jesus love working in my life. 
whether you understand me or you don't understand me, I'll never harm you. That's Jesus' love in your life. Whether you're my biggest critic or my biggest fan, I'll never hurt you. That's Jesus' love in my life. Do you see? I want you to see that in Jesus. Even now, he gives them a question that if they think about it, it's going to lead them to this realization. It must be that God was going to have more than one manifestation of himself in the house of David. On one hand, oh hallelujah, he's going to manifest himself as the son of David. That's the flesh of God. On the other hand, he's going to manifest himself as the Lord of David. That's the great creator, the father of all the universe. And so we can look at the man Christ Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. We can stand there and hear with the disciples. When you've seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. There is something going on that is bigger than our brain is to comprehend it. And that is this. The great God of all eternity has taken on the robes of flesh, stepped in the back door of his own world, and is standing before you right now. That's the gospel right there. He's both the Lord of David and the Son of David. That's the gospel right there. God has become, Jehovah has become, Jesus, Jehovah has become my salvation. God paid it all for me. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of this moment. Jesus is still reaching for them. Jesus is still asking the questions that lead. Jesus rarely told people. He invited them to think about things and ponder things. And so Jesus' teaching often is in the form of a question that makes you think. Jesus doesn't give you 99 things to go home and do. He makes you think about the life you're choosing to live. He wants you to open up to a greater spiritual insight. He wants you to, as it were, perceive the kingdom of heaven, not just the kingdoms of this earth. And so he's always asking you, think about this. He's always summoning forth your interest and your study. That's how he teaches. That's that's the style of teaching that he does. And so here, he gives a question that the common people are really, they they may not have the educational background to understand what he's saying. He's actually quoting from the book of Psalms in the prophecy there, Psalms 110, uh, where he is quoting from. Uh, He is uh, giving a technical, a fairly deep and wise and reasoned insight, Bible study, Bible question into who he is. And he offers it to those who can understand. And the Bible tells us in the very next scripture, the Bible tells us, the common people heard him gladly. And this is, this is, the, this is the problem right here. The people who are educated enough to under the, understand the question refuse to humble themselves and say, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. I have seen the same behavior in my own life. I mean, let me... Uh, uh, point this out as a uh, an example that 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 I hear uh, pastors talk about a lot. Um, 
If you look in the scripture, great moves of God are not orderly. <laughs> they're like, they're, it's going everywhere. I mean, <laughs> it's like someone knocked over a jug of milk, you know. It, it's like a move of God. It's, it's like in Jerusalem. Uh, it's dynamic. It's, 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 this is a very intentional word. It's riotous. <laughs> because in the New Testament, it's, to stay with me just a moment more, I'm almost done. Uh, uh, it's riotous. And yet out of chaos, as it were, comes spiritual breakthrough. Out of the hunger of, of many unorganized lives comes this breakthrough, this dynamic. And, and Jesus, Jesus talks about that uh, several times. And that's where we get the idea of the spirit moves like the wind and it blows through our lives like the wind. And, and you can't control it. You can't say it's going to be this or going to be that. You have to feel what God is doing. You don't order God. We don't, we don't command God. I know there's one passage of scripture that people like to misinterpret. And out of that, they, they, they come up. I've actually heard this seriously taught by people who I thought should know better because I disagree with them theologically and, you know, they have a constitutional right to be wrong, but y'all pray for them, okay? There's one passage of scripture specifically where this doctrine of command ye me comes out. But here is the difference. If God asks you to command him, that's different than you commanding him. (laughs) It's an invitation to faith. Do you see? It's an invitation to faith. Here's the difference. Who's the biggest, strongest guy in here tonight? Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's pick on Scott. Scott is very, very strong dude. Big guy. Weighs like 147 pounds. And as a big guy. And you come pat on him. He's just hard as a rock. I would hate to fight him or his wife in a dark alley. Both of them could whoop me. And so, um, um, okay. So, 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 so you're having an altercation with a big guy like Scott. And um, he says, come on, slap me, slap me. And you're like, uh, well, I don't know about that. And he's like, oh, come on. We're, uh, all right, I'm not really mad. I'm just playing. You can slap me. It'll freak my wife out. It'll be a good joke. That's one thing. Why? You have been invited to participate <laughs> in a game with a guy who weighs 147 pounds. Plus, you know, anyway, (laughs) sorry, Um, you've been invited, but now don't walk up to big guys as a rule and slap them. (laughs) That's not to be recommended. I mean, you can try it once. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a profoundly different. So when God is challenging your faith and he's saying, come on, believe, step out, challenge me, command. That's one thing. Okay. So now that's how I take that. Uh, We, rather than us walking around as though God serves us rather than we serve God and us kind of ordering God around as though we're some type of, I don't know, self-proclaimed. Anyway, you get the idea. That's just my take. I I always am always, you, you guys hear me. I'm always going to err on the side of humbling ourselves when we hold the word of God. That's just, that's just how I am made. It's in my, it's in my DNA. Uh, but, but let's just say, let's just say that, that, that you know, uh, somehow God's going to do what God's going to do. I may or may not understand it. I want you to say that with me. I may or I may not understand it. Either one is okay as long as God is working in my life. Yeah. 
You've got to get to that point or you have faith but not trust. And faith without trust is a short-term emotional existence. You need to have faith on top of trust. Faith says God's going to deliver me. Trust says if he doesn't, I'm still his man forever. Faith is built on top of trust. Faith is what, uh, trust is what makes faith powerful. Because faith says, I'm going to be delivered. God's going to give me a raise. God's going to make my wife cook me cinnamon rolls soon. God's going to give me a new job. I don't want a new job, but you get the idea. That's faith. You can name and claim it all day long. Nothing wrong with that. I love me some faith. God, give us greater faith. Can I have an amen? But trust says, your ways are above of my ways. And however you want to bring it about, I am willing to bring it about. And I'll, I'll end with this story. I might end with this story. Um, uh, but I intend to end with this story. Uh, so, so I was convicted one time in my life because in my, I, I was frustrated with some things and I, I was tempted to some other opportunities. And, and um, just like all of you, I'm just a person just like you guys. I mean, I'm a good, good, bit, good bit more spiritual than the rest of you. That's funny. You're supposed to laugh. I'm not. Uh, but, you know, I was, thought it'd be funny, but no one laughed. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I... I had tempted these opportunities and I found myself praying this prayer. Lord, if, I, if I'm going to be blessed in this endeavor, if I'm going to be blessed, let me know because if I'm not, not going to be blessed, I am going to switch to this endeavor. That's the wrong prayer. The right prayer is, Lord, what is your will for me? Because nowhere is it written that I have some guaranteed path of blessing. It may be God's will for me to suffer. Can your trust keep you strong when it's not going your way? I want to say, if it can't, then we don't know what trust is. Because trust is the acceptance of God. If any one of these so-called wizards of the law, these so-called profound teachers, and they know all, they spent their whole life studying this law, if any of them, and a few of them did, but in this moment, if they could have just said, you know, guys, I just need to press pause, and I need to see what, what this man's trying to say to me. Maybe I don't know everything. (laughs) Maybe his ways are above my ways. They would have been able to make a transition from being enemies to being friends. But vanity is the original sin. Vanity is the sin that wears the golden crown in all of our lives. Vanity is the chief sin. And it begets all the other sins in our life. And so Bible scholars, Torah scholars, are going to end up plotting to do murder. It did not start with murder. It started with pride. And it's quiet in the house. So, uh, Jesus ends, evidently, as most of these scholar types walk away, Jesus is left, apparently from the scripture, with the common people. The common people heard him gladly, verse 37. And so Jesus says this to them in his teaching. Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, 
love greetings in the marketplace. It's uh, formal titles. Uh, the best seats in the synagogue. Seats you can be seen. Best place at feasts, so they have social value. Who, in spite of all that, do not take their responsibility to take care of widows and orphans seriously. They devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And then Jesus points to a little woman, and this is the end of the chapter, and saw this widow poor. The Bible calls her a poor widow. Many of the rich gave lots. But this poor widow comes and puts in two mites, two little mites. And Jesus called his disciples and points out the contrast between those who seem to give all, those who seem to give all, and those who give all. And so I was praying this morning about this, this, this message, and I'm, I'm done. Uh, I was praying. And so I, it's one, one of my habits is to, if I'm reading scripture, um, there's a tendency as a preacher that you're always giving it, you're always filtering it for others. You're always preparing, bless God, you need to get right. And so I always try to make a, just because I have to be saved too, right? You know, and with my kids, boy, it's just 50-50, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's funny. And so anyway, I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, what, how would this apply to me? How would this apply to me? Here's this widow, poor widow, Bible says. It seems like she hasn't given anything, but God knows she's given all versus the person who's given a lot, but they really haven't given that much. How does that apply to me? And um, I was reminded in prayer, I won't tell you who she is, but there's a, uh, a young a lady that comes to our church, usually on Sundays. I don't know that I've ever seen her on a Wednesday night, but she comes on Sundays and she tries really, really hard to come. Uh, her, life, her life hasn't maybe, I think it would be fair to her and I don't think she'd be angry at me if I, she heard me say this. Her life has been difficult in many ways. Uh, she has, th- uh, she has uh, several children, and um, uh, she, she has really doing the best at what she can. Uh, she doesn't have much of anything, and uh, she's the kind of person you would expect a lot of things to have worked out for if you know the story, and yet instead of getting that life, you know that that Instagram life that you get to, to blow up, you know, she's been given the other life, and um, the life where you you just give of yourself and you work hard and you have very little and nothing goes right and you know you're on your own the husband disappears or, or father disappears and it's just it's 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 disappointing and I've watched how hard she has tried to come to church and uh, because she has her children she almost can, can can rarely get much church and then last Sunday was the first Sunday that she was able to sort the kids out and uh, actually it was, it was the Sunday before last when Brother Moran was preaching here I got this text I, my wife and I had already left to go out of town I got this long text and it was just gushing oh pastor I was able to go to church for the f- first time without my children I was able to get them to stay next door and I was able to listen to the preaching. I mean, she's just gushing. It's like it's just like one of those cartoons where the ears, the, the tears are just squirting out of their eyes. You know, not the ears. That would be weird. But the, the tears are just squirting out of their eyes. It's just going. And I, I'm reading this, and I'm like, it touches me. I'm, I'm like, I, I, it, 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 I'm, I know how hard she has to work to come to church. I build my whole week around church. I work here. 
I don't think twice about coming to church. It's my job. Some of you guys can come if you don't, or if you want to or not come if you don't want to. Your life is organized. And here's this person whose life has really, in many ways, turned out much more difficult than she ever would have imagined. And there's a lot more struggle, and she's trying so hard. And finally, she's able to come and hear the preaching. And she's just crying on the phone, able to come and listen. I showed my wife. My wife tears up. She's like, that's so sweet. It's easy to forget about the poor widow who only has a tiny bit to give. But I want you to know God sees them. Some of you guys have been that person. Now you're much more organized. Your life is much more blessed. It's much easier for you. But you were the person who it was all you could do to get in the house of God. First church is always going to be the kind of church that celebrates the person who fights all week long <laughs> and makes it to the house. And we're going to love them. <laughs> and we're going to include them. I love it. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I pray for your people. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray your protection to them. Lord, I pray you would walk with them. I pray you would help them through this summer of so many, so much, it's so busy and so many things going on. I pray you would bless them through the middle of this summer, Lord. I pray you would keep them. I pray you would, in some way, let their lives be illuminated with your spirit and let them become walking evangels of hope and love uh, to their community, to their friends. In Jesus' Jesus' name I pray. Let your confidence burn within them. Let the hope of the promises of God live within them. Use this church, I pray, in some way to have a light of hope in our community, in this neighborhood, in this part of East Charlotte. If you'll give us a broader reach, then by all means, Lord, that's, that is, we'll work whatever you lead us to, and we'll pray, and we'll give, and we'll share however we can. But Lord Jesus, we want a light to shine. We want a city to be reached. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. Somebody say, I claim it in Jesus' name. Put your hands together and praise the Lord one more time before you're dismissed. Hallelujah. 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 God bless you all. We love you. Have a great week. Thank you for spending some time in the Word with us tonight. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.